Blog Talk Radio. Do you solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you would take this obligation freely, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which you are about to enter, so help you God. Congratulations, you're now members of the 114th Congress. I'm Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren. Thank you for sharing your message of compassion for migrants with the world. With each step of your 100-mile pilgrimage, you tell the world that human dignity matters, regardless of your immigration status or your gender. Pope Francis has called for respect for migrants around the world, challenging nations and leaders to respond with compassion, charity, and cooperation to our global uh, migration crisis. The plight of refugees fleeing to Europe is important, but let's not forget the refugee crisis here in the Americas. Our country locks up Central American mothers and children in prison. These mothers and children are not criminals. They are refugees seeking protection. They don't belong in jail. We should treat families with the dignity they deserve and offer them protection from harm with special attention to the needs of children. I visited these families in immigration prisons. These mothers bravely escaped harrowing situations and are doing what they can to save their children. I've been fighting in Congress to make sure they and all migrants are afforded the respect they deserve. People seeking freedom from persecution will always try to come to the free world because we have a proud history of protecting those fleeing violence and persecution. We should continue that tradition to protect the most vulnerable. Your pilgrimage to bring this message to the Pope is admirable and an inspiration around the world. I wish you the very best and thank you for your determination and resolve. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen. This is Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday, and the excitement has already started. Tonight on Spotlight on Capitol Hill... Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren. And ladies and gentlemen, don't let the soft voice fool you. This is a champion, a fighter, a warrior fighting for the rights of Americans and around the world. Ladies and gentlemen, hold on to your seats. AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill kicks off right now. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Cliff Stewart, William Williams, and Lisa is off tonight. And, folks, I'll tell you right now, this is going to be a good one. William, we were uh, discussing a little bit earlier, uh, 32 years in Congress and uh, making a huge difference. We did have an opportunity to meet with her staff a couple of weeks ago there in Washington, D.C., greatly and highly respected uh, for what she is doing. You're going to learn a lot about Congresswoman Lofgren tonight and William, she's doing some big, some big things. Yes, she is. She's definitely doing some big things, definitely fighting for the rights of those who want to be U.S. citizens, basically uh, fighting for those uh, with, uh, concerning immigration reform. So I think that's really good. And Cliff, uh, as, as we, uh, again, had the opportunity to meet with her staff uh, a couple of weeks ago there in D.C., 
uh, a well-oiled machine, if you will, working there in Congress. Your thoughts on it? Absolutely. I mean, the staff has got everything laid out to to ensure that, uh, you know, she's supported in everything that she do. That her staff really, really respects her because, you know, she basically came up as an intern in the, uh, in the office of a congressman and, you know, worked her there way we up go. the chain. So they really... They uh, they feel that she feels what they go through on a daily basis because you know the staff in Congress, they're work, they're a hardworking group of people as well. So they they really sure. feel that uh, that Congresswoman Lofgren understands where they're coming from and the request that they make of her. So that was oh, very absolutely. very enlightening meeting with them. You no, know, absolutely. And uh, actually, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to actually have a one-on-one interview uh, that Congressman Lofgren gave us. Uh, uh, a little bit ago, uh, prior to this latest trip to Washington D.C., uh, we're going to bring that exclusively only here on AJC Radio. You won't, don't, you don't want to miss that. It's definitely going to be a good one. William, the disclaimer for our listeners tonight. Yes, we are not attorneys, and the Just Cause does not provide legal advice. Please contact your personal legal advisor for your legal needs. Also, the the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC Radio. As always, thank you for tuning in and choosing to spend tonight with us. And thank you for that, William. And uh, again, uh, folks, if you want to call in and chime in on tonight's show, the number is 347-838-8976. That's 347-838-8976. And tonight, uh, Cliff, a little bit later in this program on the last segment, uh, special uh, attention being drawn to the playwright, the race card face-up. Uh, we'll be in discussion about that regarding uh, a playwright written by retired federal judge H. Lee Sarrigan, and we're going to definitely take those moments to invite our listeners to go out to change.org, sign the petition as we request freedom uh, for the RP6 man. Cliff, your thoughts on that one? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we are also going to read some of those comments, you know, just letting people know this is what people or out there saying, you know, when they watch that playwright by Judge Sarakin, this is what the masses are saying about the IRP-6 case. And, you know, in the event that you thought it was just our opinion, you thought it was just words that we're saying, we're talking about attorneys that have been practicing for 50 years. Judge Sarakin himself, that was on the bench for decades and decades. These are their thoughts about what's going on in the American justice system in the IRP-6 case. Well, absolutely. And this show, as all shows, are dedicated to the IRP-6. Who are they? David Banks, Dave Zappolo, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker as AJC and a just call seeks justice uh, for these men. And again, we're going to get into that at the uh, IRP6, uh, what you didn't know moment. Uh, we'll be discussing that. Folks, again, feel free to call in 347-838-8976. Go out tonight doing the show if you have a couple of seconds from the biscuits and gravy. Go out there and uh, uh, change.org and sign the petition as we ask the president of the United States to grant clemency to these men as uh, they have been in prison wrongfully for almost four years. So uh, we'll get into that discussion as well. Uh, current news right now, um, Cliff, we came across a story. Uh, this is about a week or so ago, uh, and uh, I'm just going to turn it over to you to share with our listeners about this one. Yes, yeah, a very troubling story. It happens right here in our backyard in uh, El Paso County, uh, Colorado. For those of you who may not know, uh, Air Force Academy is here. Uh, the cadets at their graduation today. President Obama was in our town, uh, you know, gracing us with his presence. We saw all the security. But we had something on our local news that was quite troubling. In the last few days, we had uh, what KRDO.com, which is a local news. They uh, ABC write, affiliate. Uh, yeah, ABC affiliate. Thanks, Mont. They say a veteran member 
of the El Paso County, Colorado Sheriff's Department, stepped down this month after admitting that he described President Barack Obama as a, quote, nigger. That is what is written in the local newspaper. And if you think that is offensive to you over the radio, imagine what President Obama must have felt. That is his pre-Air Force Academy welcome to the Colorado Springs area, that this is what a lieutenant, a man with 17 years investigative, uh, you know, how, how do you say this is somebody who is a lieutenant running parts of the sheriff's department, interacting with our community? I mean, Colorado Springs is not uh, 50-50 black and white, but there is a big enough population of African Americans in Colorado Springs that you say, how does this affect the members of the community when you know this is what your lieutenant thinks about black people? And, and I, I think it's appalling. Uh, I'm glad that, you know, he did step down and the the, uh, the local sheriff, sheriff, sheriff elder said that if he had not stepped down, that he definitely would, would have fired him. There would not have been a warning. He would have fired him from the force, which I think that would have been the right thing to do. Well, the problem you have here is that if that's embedded, we talk about it all the time on this program about culture, uh, the undercover racists uh, that stay undercover, they stay hid out. Nobody would have known that this sheriff was a racist and how has he treated African Americans yes. in this community if he can call the president of the United States that word that raises high questions of now we look at what is going on in El Paso County Sheriff Department with something like this and a man of his rank exactly. and years of experience who oversees cadets uh, not cadets but rookies Coming in, being a part of the sheriff's department, what do we not know that is not caught on, on, on camera or audio that he may have been instructing his new enlistees to say and to treat African Americans? Well, well, this is the thing that I, that I read into this. I mean, this man had a 28-year career. He spent 17 years investigating homicide and ser- other serious crimes. So now, if he can look at the TV and get upset at the president because of the color of his skin, what is he doing to an African-American male in custody, an African-American male at the scene of you know, something, a traffic stop or anything, when he's in a position of control and he can oppose his power – that is fed by racist bias and hate. See, this is, this is just one of many across the country. And so we're seeing it here. Yeah, of course, they're not going to reprimand this man. Of course, you're going to fire him. But it, he spent 28 years doing this. Right. And the thing is, I mean, he, he says this in the break room. And uh, what the article says, several subordinates and members of the El Paso County Coroner's Office were present. So he has no problem saying this openly. Exactly. It's, it's like, okay, yeah. so is this just a common place? Uh, this is just commonly the type, of, the type of language that he uses, the type of slurs that he calls uh, African-Americans that he comes into contact with. Well, this, He's in a break room and uses this language just openly in front of everybody. Like, I don't care who's around. The culture, you have to say, what is the culture of the El Paso uh County Sheriff's Department, when your lieutenant with 28 years of, of experience 
feels like it's okay to say this in the break room but with see, everybody well, around. But well, see, this is not the only time this happened. I guarantee you, over 28 years, somebody else heard him well, say a lot of things. Well, the problem you have here, to that point, to Cliff's point as well, uh, if you are comfortable enough to say it, yes. watching him on TV, the president I'm, I'm referring to now, watching the president on TV, and he references him as that, without any type of fear of consequence or wait a minute, should I say this, it lets you know, it points to this. That is a culture that is accepted yes. within the department at some level. Right. Now, I'm, not, I, I'm going to commend uh, Sher- uh, Sheriff Elder for speaking out against it, condemning it, stating point blank it's not accepted in his department, but I guarantee you they're going to look a lot closer now because that's not something that remains local news. This isn't a local celebrity in town. This is the commander-in-chief of the United States of America. Yeah. Uh, that's, that, that's a whole other ballgame. Right. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to bring those issues to the forefront here on AJC Radio. It is important uh, that we understand that. And uh, the racist dynamic in this country right now, when you think it's dying down, when you think it's maybe getting a little bit easier, if you want to think that, Something else arises that tells us very clearly we have a long way to go as a nation. And uh, this is, it, is, it is troubling because it comes from law enforcement, where African Americans are in, 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 in harm's way, if you will, every day. They're on the streets. We expect to be protected by our sheriffs, by our police departments. And to have that type of racism tone and culture in a department, we saw what happened in Ferguson. Colorado Springs is no different. If we allow that to continue, something is going to happen. And you can't let that fester in a community with a person of leadership in law enforcement who has the power to stop, to book, and to arrest you, and to take you in custody. I, as an African-American, would be a little bit leery when I see a sheriff's department, off, a sheriff's car pull up. And again, it doesn't, it's not everybody that's like that, but you send this message and you create a defensive mechanism in the community by African-Americans. Then you want to wonder why, well, why are they acting that way? You've set the tone. That's right. To that's do absolutely that. Absolutely right. And that, go ahead, William. No, I, I agree 100% with what you're saying. You cannot look at a people that have been oppressed and, and seen evidence of for years. I mean, from Rodney King to uh, Mike Brown to... Tamir Rice, you name it. I mean, it's across the country. So, and this is like constant examples of law enforcement overstepping their bounds, uh, doing racial profiling, all kinds of stuff that's just that just ends up being abusive to minorities, especially African Americans. And so here we are looking at it again, fa- facing it. And 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 I'm just, I guess you know, there's no reason to be puzzled by it. It is what it is. I mean, this is nothing new, but yeah, absolutely. As African American male, I would definitely be leery if a car comes up to me, a, a police officer comes up to me. You don't know what his intent is. No, absolutely. And uh, again, that story comes from KRDO.com. You can read more about it there. Uh, something that makes you go definitely stop and take pause uh, as we continue to see issues in this country along racial lines, and that's something definitely well we need to definitely pay attention to. Again, folks, if you want to get in this conversation tonight, 347-838-8976. That's 347-838-8976. 
and uh, we're going to be digging into some more issues, uh, but uh, that'll be on the backside of this program, but we are getting ready for a, a huge takeoff tonight for Spotlight on Capitol Hill as we give you a preview of Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren. Uh, and I'll tell you, this, this, this lady is, is doing some things. She's been in Congress, uh, you know, after almost 32 years total. Uh, she, she actually served on the staff of Congressman Don Edwards for eight years uh, in, Jose, in, in his uh, San Jose office and Washington, D.C. offices. So she started out really, uh, Cliff, as you alluded to, uh, coming in, trying to learn some things, get involved. She probably saw a lot over that eight years and was still motivated and passionately motivated to continue her journey through public service. I think that is absolutely awesome. Uh, everybody can't do that job. Uh, she's one, and she is a voice that is well-respected uh, very much by major uh, ranking members of Congress there in D.C., one being Nancy Pelosi, Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi. Uh, they've worked on some things. She seems to be able to reach across the aisle. She speaks her mind. Uh, William, when you hear this type of a, of a description, if you will, of a member of Congress, uh, you understand you've got to have tough skin up there. She seems to not be moved or swayed by anything other than what lies ahead of her. That's, that's true. I, t- I tell you, you know, you said it, and the one thing that stands out to me is she's the daughter of a truck driver, you know, of a hardworking man that drives across country. And uh, I guess, you know, you, she taught her a couple of things, you know, to kind of stand up for herself and, uh, you know, say, listen, honey, you're going to have to have some tough skin. You're going to have to take a stand. You're going to have to fight for what you want. And uh, that's who she is. I mean, 32 years is, uh, is quite a long time. That's a career. Yeah, and uh, she's very much involved with the immigration issue, which you're going to hear, again, that interview here shortly tonight. Uh, there's a hum- – uh, when I hear Congressman Lofgren speak, there's a human side that cannot be left out of the equation when you're, when you're in Congress. If you take the human side out of what you do and the fight that you fight, uh, it ceases to have the impact. When, especially when you're dealing with immigration, when you're dealing with millions of people's lives, children and their lives that could be affected. I think that's what really, really stood out to me, her willingness to want to do whatever we must do. We, we all understand borders have to be controlled. We understand that. But there is a human way to do it. There is a right way to do it. There's a humanitarian way to do it without destroying families, uh, taking the entire foundation of homes and families and mothers and fathers who work and contribute to this nation. Well, that's compassion. That's, that, that's what compassion is. It is a willful understanding of, of somebody else's fight. And so, you know, when she, she's taking on this burden, she's saying, hey, listen, I understand. I understand what you're fighting for. You know, what I, may, I was birthed into, I was born here as a U.S. citizen, you want to be. I understand that. I mean, you know, and that's something that, that is – it takes it takes a heart. It takes a real heart to just say, you know what? I'll reach out and I'll get underneath this load, and I will fight this fight. No, absolutely right, and you know can't be said any better than that. We're going to hear directly from the congresswoman tonight, though. Here on the other side of this break, uh, we're going to get into that. Get into some of the things that mean a lot to her. Uh, William Cliff, uh, do research in Congressman Lofgren, uh, re- taking moments to remember Black History Month and. 
the, the sacrifices that were made and the, 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 the potential that lies in this country if we can take racism out of the equation. She's chiming in on those issues, reflecting and doing the things that, look, there is no, you have to become colorblind in Congress to make a difference. The minute you're not colorblind, I'm telling you, things get all screwed up. Communities are affected. Children are affected. And that's not just African-American. That's Latino. That's immigration issues. All of those things that raise serious concerns uh, in our nation, Cliff. Absolutely. And, and I mean, that is, that is the beginning of being a, uh, a viable member of Congress, is that you have to... Uh, you know, not let biases, if you have any or not. You you can't go, and, and that's what I say all the time, if a member of Congress isn't willing to reach across the aisle and say, okay, despite Republican or Democrat, we have to deal with an issue. If they can't come, the ones that can't come together and say, I can work with the other side on the issue that needs to be dealt with, then you have to wonder what type of person are they in the first place that your bias as a Democrat or as a Republican keeps you from doing the right thing. Congresswoman Lofgren says, look, it is about getting things done for the American people, and across the board, that is just what needs to be done. Democrat, Republican, it's about getting work done, and that's why uh, you know, the members that we spotlight here sure. on uh, AJC Spotlight on Capitol Hill, those are the members who are willing to cross the aisle to get things done. No, absolutely, Cliff. That's something that's critically important, uh, things that have to be looked into. Uh, uh, Congresswoman Lofgren making a difference, letting her voice be heard on the platform in which she has been given. Ladies and gentlemen, hang on to your seats. It's our, I don't think it's an official summer day, but the temperatures are on the rise, and uh, people enjoying some good weather across this nation Grab a cup of iced tea, a glass of iced tea. We're done with cups to the wintertime. Grab that iced tea, maybe some lemonade as we get ready to take off on a summer blitz of Spotlight on Capitol Hill with Congressman Lofgren. We're coming right back, folks. Don't go nowhere. Spotlight on Capitol Hill continues after this. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now, add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room, to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. 
Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to one out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are one out of three. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear, there's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. Welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen. If you're wondering what that tune is, as I remember as a little boy, it was Hawaii Five O, and McGarrett, I believe, was his name. And when you heard that, you got a little nervous because you knew justice was coming for the bad guy. Well, tonight we have a young lady by the name of Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren, and I'll tell you what, she's no nonsense on Capitol Hill, doing some things, fighting for the rights of others, and bringing about change and motivating legislators around her to get involved. And I tell you what, William, it doesn't get any better than that, does it? It sure doesn't. It sure doesn't. And I'll tell you, we will continue tonight to dig into the life uh, and the accomplishments of Congresswoman Lofgren. And I'll tell you, Cliff, when we started the initiative Spotlight on Capitol Hill, uh, it, it was about doing one thing, and that was bringing a positive message and spin, if you will, to the work and the untying efforts of members of Congress that simply were not getting, I believe, a fair shake uh, in, in, the, in the media or anywhere else. Absolutely. I mean, what we've seen uh, when we go up on Capitol Hill is that and the members, they work tirelessly. Uh, I mean, the last time we were up there, uh, they were working on what's called a market where basically they're saying, okay, we have the bill, we're marking it up right now, spending eight, nine hours a day all all in a room saying we're marking up this bill, and then after we come to some conclusion on the markup, then we go to vote. So you're talking about they're in there nine, ten hours a day working on getting a vote on one thing. That is the type of work that they put in. If you imagine everything on both sides of the aisle that's being worked on, they work tirelessly, and we, we've seen it. Then yes. they come in, and they cordially accept you into their office and say, hey, what is it? that that uh, I, as a member of Congress, can do for you. Uh, we've seen that it's not what you see on the, uh, on, the, on the cable news networks. That is such a small part of what they do. And uh, you got to appreciate them when you go up there and, and really come to, to grips with the work that they do and the, uh, the patience that they have working up there. It, 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 yeah. It's mind-boggling. I'll tell you what, uh, we're no stranger to it, and uh, we've learned so much. Uh, in regards to this process, and I can't tell you enough how much we appreciate uh, here at Just Calls AJC Radio 
again, let me get a, give a huge shout out to the staff uh, of Congressman uh, Zoe Lofgren, who have been just angels, if you will, uh, Cliff, uh, tiring as you know, as the congressman or congresswoman may be doing or going through the tiredness. That staff, when I tell you, that is the oil yes. that runs that machine, and, and we have come to, to such to have such a great appreciation uh, for what they do. But we're not going to uh, delay any longer, ladies and gentlemen of America. Pull up a chair. Uh, right now, we're getting ready to take you live, not live, but we're going to bring the interview, interview to you that Congressman Lofgren gave us, and she was so gracious to give it. That's exclusively here on AJC Radio, and we're going to let you hear that conversation right now. Hello, Congresswoman Lofgren. How are you this morning? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm sure it's lunchtime there, so my apologies on the time difference. No, not quite. You're in California today, aren't you? I am, but it's only, you know, 10-ish. My uh-huh. apologies. I was going to Washington, D.C. Now. We just <laughs> actually got back from there, so I apologize for the mix-up. Uh, I'm Lamont Banks. I'm the uh, host of A Just Calls, along with uh, Lisa Stewart. And uh, we're excited to have you and appreciate you taking time for our initiative, Spotlight on Capitol Hill, today. Of course. And I'll tell you, Congresswoman uh, uh, Lofgren, we are very impressed uh, with what you're doing there on the Hill, uh, uh, just really, really impressed with your efforts in, in regards to immigration, uh, border security, all the things that are going on, and your passions. And I, I'll give you an opportunity as we get into interview uh, to speak to those issues. Well, thank you so much. As you know, uh, Democrats are not in the majority in the House, and uh, the Republicans are. Uh, for the most part, uh, engaged in anti-immigrant activities. But we're putting up the best effort we can to protect the due process rights of uh, people who are appearing in immigration courts and to bring just basic fairness to the immigration system, which in large measure is lacking today. So, uh, as you know, we have introduced just recently uh, a bill called the Fair Day in Court Act, which would uh, actually a fair day in court act for kids. A lot of people don't realize that if you're an immigration court, you're not entitled to be uh, represented by counsel unless you can come up with the money to hire your own. And when it comes to children, we've seen children who are essentially refugees from Central America. They fled for their lives. Some of them are quite young. And they appear in court by themselves. I mean, uh, a a 10-year-old who doesn't speak English showing up in court, facing off with a trained prosecutor, trying to make a case for asylum, which is a very complicated area of the law, obviously that cannot meet due process requirements under the Constitution, and it's just not fair to those kids. No, and I agree with that, Congresswoman. And and I think given the tone of the country, this next question will speak to that. Uh, we know all the rhetoric, all the stuff that's being said, you know, let's round up 12 million uh, uh, immigrants, send them out of the country, just pack them up. And I like the statement that you made in regards to the economy, that uh, immigrants actually uh, enhance the economy, the economy here in the United States. And if what? you... 
Go ahead. It's absolutely the case, and it's not just me saying it. You know, when we had the bipartisan Senate bill passed in the last Congress, the Congressional Budget Office, which is independent, they just call it as they see it, they estimated that it would be nearly a trillion dollars additional uh, growth in the economy, almost a trillion dollars to the good for the American economy. That's that's unbelievable. And, and you know, uh, I think the tone of the country, at least uh, on the uh, at least what I'm hearing uh, on, on some of the Republican side of this thing is, you know, it doesn't make sense. And I think your approach to immigration and what. Uh, I believe President Obama has str- has been striving to do during his entire administration uh, is trying to be human in the process. And I think that's what I'm hearing from you. There is a way to do it, and you don't want to gut the economy of the United States because of hate and rhetoric and and separation of people. That's just not what America is about, and I would believe you, your view on that would be the same. Well, absolutely. And, you know, the um – it's frustrating to deal with some of my colleagues on the right because, number one, they don't know what they're talking about, and number two, they seem to be, in some cases, motivated by ethnic or racial animosity. I'm not saying everyone, but some of the comments made by uh, my colleague on the immigration subcommittee, Mr. King, are really very difficult to defend. I mean, talking about uh, the, the DREAM Act kids as uh, you know, kids with calves the size of melons because he says they're drug runners. I mean, how outrageous is oh. that? Wow, that that's uncomprehendable. And and uh, you know, Congresswoman, we, we again we salute your work. And I believe, can you tell the, our listeners what uh, brought about this passion? Unless it was something you've always had, uh, and it doesn't sound like a enlightening or an awakening happened. Uh, I think it's just about who Congresswoman uh, 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 Lockburn is, and this is what her passions are. What, what well, I guess you, you, you can't fully describe how you a- ended up with the belief system that you have, but sure. I, I, you know, a major figure in my life was my grandfather, who was an immigrant. We were very close, um, and he came over. He was actually an unaccompanied minor child. <laughs> he came over by himself. Yeah. He had brothers here, but he never saw his parents again. And he always, uh, he came to America for freedom and, you know, for more opportunity. And he loved the United States. He had his naturalization certificate framed and hanging in the living room. And even though, you know, he wasn't from America, boy, he loved Abraham Lincoln. He was so excited about Martin Luther King. I mean, he loved everything about that was great and forward thinking and for civil rights in America. I'm sure that had an impact on me when it comes to immigration. And, you know, immigrants made this country. Everything we like about the United States is sort of the ethos of people who came here. Um, people who are strivers, people who are optimistic, people who are risk-taking, people who are committed to family. That's, that's immigration. Oh, absolutely. And, and I, think, I think America needs to be, and, and this is the point, um, uh, uh, Congresswoman, is that this is what Spotlight on Capitol Hill is about, because I don't think the American people are aware of the passions, if you will, or the legislation passion, if you will, and the heart of our elected officials. 
spotlight on Capitol Hill is meant to to highlight that to the American people. Because look, you know, uh, there are things happening on the Hill, and there are people dedicated, such as yourself, into making a difference, into speaking and defending those that may not be able to defend themselves. I think the point you make in regards to the immigration court process, and you got kids in there who are totally, in, I mean, you have adults that are intimidated by the system, let alone kids in there that don't speak English, they're in a foreign land, really, and to be intimidated, America needs to really take a look at what we are doing and what message we are sending to these other uh, we recently had an immigration judge submit an affidavit saying that it was uh, that he had trained three and four year old children to defend themselves in court, and that it was not a problem for a three year or four year old child to face off with an immigration prosecutor. I mean, that's insane. It's wow. not just in court. I mean, last year, I'm sure you recall that we had a, a large number of of families fleeing violence in the Northern Triangle in uh, Central America, El Salvador, uh, Honduras, and Guatemala. And our reaction is people cross the border, they seek asylum, and the first thing we do is put them in jail. I went down there with a number of other members, um, Luis Gutierrez, uh, Sheila Jackson Lee, and uh, Judy Chu, and, and many others. And we visited with those mothers and their children in jail. We, we met with a mother who had a four-year-old son. That boy had spent one quarter of his life in prison with his mother. And we have made a huge effort to take the mothers and their children out of prison. And, you know, they... they have to go through their day in court. We understand that. But you don't put mothers and, and babies and toddlers in prison for years at a time. So we've had some success in that. Not everything we wanted, those prisons should be closed. But uh, we have succeeded in getting those mothers and children moved out into suitable uh uh, facilities, apartments with family while they wait for their day in court uh, after a short period of time. So that's a success that wow. we had. It's not everything, but it's better than it was. That's awesome, uh, Congresswoman Lofgren. And we see here, uh, one another, another one of your passions here is privacy for the American people. Um, and, and you go into, uh, I guess you've been regarded uh, for your work on patent reform, copyright, digital rights, uh, and also the privacy to stop the NSA from searching Americans' private communications collected without a warrant. Uh, this is a very important issue, as you're aware of the Apple situation yep. uh, uh, that's going on. Give us your thoughts on the ramifications uh, that such an intrusion of privacy on American citizens cause and the harm it will cause this nation. Well, I think all of us, I mean, maybe not all of us, but I was surprised when I found out that the NSA was collecting the phone data of every single American. I mean, that is crazy. And we, in the uh, bill we adopted at the end of last uh, Congress, we did prohibit that, but there are still a lot of concerns. And uh, the, the answer to, to protect your online privacy in large measure is to encrypt your data. Now, not everybody, I mean, we all use digital uh, uh, sure. uh, access, but the, the, it, 
the level of knowledge about how to manipulate data is variable from, you know, your great-grandmother who knows how to turn the on-off switch to the 16-year-old who knows how to do everything. But the, the basic issue is we need to have encryption to keep our private data private uh, to, to the point where you can't have people breaking in, whether it's bad guys, whether it's China, or whether it's the NSA, and and gaining access to your your private material. And that's what this Apple case is about. People said, well, it's Apple. It's, it is Apple, but it's not just Apple. It's all of us, whether we're going to have real privacy or not. Now, in anticipation of this fight uh, with the FBI, we knew it was coming. I put together some amendments uh, to say no backdoor to encryption. The first uh, vote we had, and we put a lot of time and effort, usually they, the Republicans you know, managed to defeat it, or it's ruled not germane. We, we spent weeks briefing the parliamentarian, making sure that we would get a vote. And when we did, the vote was 293, no encryption. That's a huge vote, a majority of Republicans, a majority of Democrats saying no backdoor to encryption. We did the same thing the following year. Now, obviously... Those amendments did not become law. They got stripped out by the Republican leadership. But they put members of Congress on record as being no backdoor to encryption. And we're hoping that we win this fight on behalf of the American people. No, without question. And, uh, Congresswoman, we will also, as a ally, if you will, of members of Congress, uh, we'll post something on our website in regards to the fight that you're fighting to inform our, our, our people across the United States uh, the importance of this. And I think I would believe the bipartisanship is there because every American, whether you were Republican, Democrat, Independent, and whatever else, uh, I would believe uh, would want the protection of privacy. Um, One would hope. You would you know, think Some that. people say, if you have nothing to hide, why worry? I always think, you know, there's a reason why we have a Fourth Amendment, which is, uh, you know, you need a warrant. Now, the problem is, in the case of the FBI Apple, they picked the perfect case. The, 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 the people who used the phone are dead. They didn't own the phone. The county did. They got a warrant. So uh, the FBI's position is, you know, what's the problem? The problem is that to create the back door into the operating system, they're going to use it on everything. They've indicated they've got thousands of, of phones they want to break into. And once, once that breakdown into encryption is out there, it's going to be used constantly by everyone, by hackers, by criminals, by China, by the NSA. It will be the end of privacy for America. Yeah, and that's just not going to work. That's not going to work here in the USA and uh, we appreciate, again, ladies and gentlemen of America, make no mistake about it, Congressman Lachlan is doing some things uh, to protect the privacy of the, of, of the citizens of this country. Um, and this is something that's critically important. And, it, and I, I say this all the time, Congresswoman, is that we are in a position to shape the culture of America for tomorrow. It's simply not today. It is for our children. I notice you are the mother of two children. And, well, they're uh, adults now. They're adults now, and my okay. daughter had um, had twins last uh, summer. So I, I, for the first time, I'm a grandmother Grandma, with the seven. Thank you, seven month old babies, which is really uh, a whole new experience about thinking about the future. 
Oh, absolutely. And, 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 and we've shared that on this program on a number of occasions that the members of Congress that we have highlighted, whether your children are young or, or older, I don't want to say young or old, but if they're young or older and they're adults, again, we lay the foundation. And I think that's why it is so important in the work that you're doing, the, the fights that you are fighting. They say all the time, pick your, choose your fights carefully. Uh, the fights you are fighting, I believe, uh, impact the culture and the shape of this country. We say all the time, the culture is the critical component to changing. Well, Go ahead. Well, I, I thank you. And, you know, this is a, a great conversation to have because the Republicans have made it their business to try and convince the country that, you know, that we should be cynical, that, you know, the two parties are the same. It doesn't make any difference who's there. It's all corrupt. And, you know, I'm not going to say I'm a perfect person. I surely am not. But I'm trying to make some changes that really serve the American people. I know plenty of people who are working with me to do that. And I think the the cynical effort to try and convince people doesn't matter, it doesn't make a difference who's there, are to try and talk people who are idealistic out of voting. And that's just that's just so wrong. And your 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 show is part about changing that through information that actually people's voices do get heard. And people do try and make sure the country is serving the people instead of just the the elite. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, I'll tell you right now that what I'm hearing, Lisa, when you hear uh, Congresswoman, Congresswoman Lofgren, Lofgren speak, it, it's, it, and, and this is the truth. You can hear the sincerity. Absolutely, you can. That is what matters. And I'll tell you right now, Congresswoman, this is what. I believe, will help generate people to the polls this November. When you begin to see the human side of our elected officials and hear the heart of these officials, that makes a person become motivated that, you know what, my vote does count. And what Congressman Lofgren is doing in, you know, is absolutely amazing. And that will make me get up. And, and you know what, one thing about <laughs> California, hey, I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not getting out in the snow. It's, it's probably a decent day in California to go vote. So, and to that point, Congresswoman, to the issues where the the voting rights have been uh, put at the forefront uh, of challenges and different obstacles for the American people who voted in lower-income communities, what are your thoughts on the condition of this country when it comes to the voting rights that we fought so hard to attain? Well, you know, I'm so glad you mentioned that because what's happening, you know, we did a Voting Rights Act in 1964. It was it was signed into law on the 4th of July, 1964, by Lyndon Johnson, and it made all the difference that people who had been prevented from voting. You remember Martin Luther King and the Freedom Summer, to, and people lost their lives to to get the right to vote. And that yep. Voting Rights Act was an important component of keeping it going. It was renewed on a bipartisan basis until all of a sudden this right-wing court threw it out. And, and all of a sudden, the bipartisan support that used to be there, the Republicans will not allow the Voting Rights Act to be renewed because they, they are getting the advantage of suppressing the vote. And you can see it all over the South where in Texas – they're, they've got this voter ID bill, which makes no sense at all. Right. You know that you can use your voter ID for your gun permit, but not your student ID? 
Now, that kind of tells me who they're hoping shows up at the polls, the NRA supporters, not the students who who want to uh, take on the 1%. Here in California, we've got a different situation. We want everybody to vote. We've now got um, online voting. We've got same-day voting coming. We're going to do voting clusters so you can vote near your work or your your kid's school and set of your precinct. We, we're doing everything we can. We've got automatic voter registration when you go to get your driver's license. So we want people to vote because the country's better off if everybody who has a right to choose their government shows up and does it. No, absolutely. And, and I, my thought would be, Congresswoman, is that we want to make it easy for our citizens to vote. That's what you would think. That's would what you should have. Um, now, and, go ahead. I'm just thinking, though, that you know the the Republicans have, for the most part, I mean these these are generalizations, but generalizations based in truth. They're a party that is made up of a shrinking demographic of conservative old white people, and so to the extent that they can keep young people or Latinos or African Americans or Asians from voting, that's how they stay in power. But that's ultimately can't work. The country's going to be ruled by the people who are the citizens who are here able to vote. And I think that the, the sooner we come to grips with that and, and say what a great, diverse country we have and the new future that's going to be ours, the better off we are. No, absolutely. And, and, and Congresswoman, we're going to respect your time, but we've got a couple more questions. Can you hang in with us for a few more minutes? Sure. Um, we understand right now in our country uh, homeland security is critical. Um, the threat of ISIS and other terrorist networks that approach the homeland and seem to be uh, the latest news. The gentleman that uh, I guess was captured uh, uh, actually is an American or he is stating he is an American uh, that was converted. But he said he went further and did not con- uh, continue to believe in their views. Thus, he uh, left the organization. Um, when you talk about homeland security with your children and now as you speak about your, your grandchildren that are here now, um, how important is it that America take every and use every opportunity to keep the homeland safe right now? Well, our first obligation, obviously, is to keep our country safe and everyone in it safe. But we can do that consistent with the Constitution, because I'll tell you, when you throw the Constitution to one side to be safe, the country's done. Historically, we haven't done that. You know, in World War II, we had probably the greatest threat ever to to since the Civil War, to the survival of the United States. There were some mistakes when we, no kidding, when we rounded up the Americans of Japanese descent. But for the most part, we did not say we're going to throw the Constitution overboard just because we've got a threat. And we should not do that now. Uh, If we do that, we're not going to have a country. No, absolutely. That's really unsafe. That's really, really an unsafe situation. And Congressman uh, Lofgren, we're going to be back in Washington, D.C. at the end of May uh, for the foster care initiative by Congressman uh, Marino, Congresswoman Bass, and, and working with foster care and those things. Um, you are a very fascinating young woman. And I'll tell you that now. And Lisa, I think <laughs> Thanks for the, young, for the young description. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We're always young and going. And your fights, you know, you haven't, you've been in Congress for over 20 years, uh, and you haven't. Missed a step in what you're doing. 
Well, I thank you for that. And, you know, it's a long commute. Every every week I I go to Washington, and then at the end of the week I fly home. So that's a commute of over 4,000 miles. There's no point doing it unless you hope to make change. No, absolutely. And and Congresswoman, we're going to be there. There is a situation. As I was reviewing your home uh, homeland home, excuse me, homeland security points of view, if you will, uh, there is a case that is called the well, men known as the IRP six. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. I am not familiar with it. What I'd like to do is forward that information to your staff there to get to you, and maybe you can read it over. Uh, It is it is a critical and it is a matter of national security. Uh, we actually just got back from a trip to Washington, D.C., uh, uh, passing this information out because it was a threat, we believe, to the homeland. And there's some answers there that will help us work together as a country and as a people uh, to make, keep the homeland safe. And those two grandbabies that, that just have entered life on planet Earth uh, in a safe and productive way. Uh, and if you if you have any time, perhaps we can sit down in May and talk about these things. Because well, I, I don't know what the schedule is, but I'd be happy sure. to take a look at it, and we'll do the best sure. we can. No, we appreciate that, and and your work and your efforts are saluted on this program. Uh, and we are going to whatever you would like us, Congresswoman uh, Lofgren, to put out there uh, in regards to any legislation that you want the American people to hear. Uh, we have no problem putting that on the air on this program on our website because we believe this is how the message is, is actually put out there to the American people. And I, I salute you as a, as a patriot of this country, and, and really uh, our hats off, for, uh, off to you, and, and you have found an ally, ally, if you will, in AJC Radio. And I just well, called. thank you very much. I appreciate it so much. And, Congresswoman, I just had one final question for you. I was sure. just wondering, I'm thinking, in doing the research that I have on you, I'm noticing – you are a member of more congressional caucuses than any member I've seen. <laughs> right. You're a part of a lot of different things. And I was wondering if there was anything in particular that maybe has, has your heart more than the others, like any particular well, caucus you think is that, you know, just more important to you? I belong to many of them, and, I, and I'll tell you why. There's caucuses, you know, they don't always meet, but they can focus attention. So, for example, there's a Portuguese caucus. I've got little Portugal in my district, and it's important in my constituents that I stand up for that, so I'm happy to do that. But probably the caucus that I work the most on, the two I work the most on, are the uh, Viet, uh, Free Vietnam Caucus because of the yes. horrible violations of human rights in Vietnam, and then the other caucus I work a lot on, I'm co-founder as well of the Refugee Caucus, where we stand up for refugees uh, around the world. And uh, uh, that doesn't mean I don't, I'm not in caring about the other caucuses, but those two uh, probably take up more of my time. Well, Congressman, Congresswoman, uh, I'll tell you, we're going to name you the humanitarian Congresswoman on Capitol Hill. <laughs> uh, we are so impressed with you. That is just, that's what the human spirit, I believe, is about. And that's what the American people and our leaders should be demonstrating. And you do that with such a, a high level and in great fashion. And we appreciate that so very much for your service to this country. Thanks very much. It's been great talking to you. Same uh, here. Enjoy your weekend. And uh, we look forward, hopefully, to doing further things in the future down Capitol Hill with you. You bet. Take care. Okay. Take you care, too. Congresswoman. And there you have it, folks. Um, Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren uh, doing some things that uh, – well, again, we, we say week after week on this program, 
doing some things that are making an impact, not in her case, Lisa, not only in the United States, around the All world. Around the world yes. uh, it tells you the power of the office of Congress. It tells you the reach and the impact that a congressman, congresswoman can make, not only on our nation, but on our world. Yeah, and if, they, if they want, if they really want to, they can really make a difference. And she really, really wants to. And she's again, you know, she's been in Congress twenty years, twenty plus years, hasn't got tired yet. Continues to do what she does, and uh, we salute her, Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren. Uh, we salute you tonight here on AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill. We'll be right back. anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855 855- or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A Just Cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. Welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen of America. You have arrived, if you will, or you're back with Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. 
And it's a nice spring day here in Colorado Springs and across the nation. Uh, some pretty good weather, some rain showers down in Texas and in that part of the region and some heavy storms headed that way. But here in Colorado Springs, we've been mostly sunny today, high around 78. Enjoying that. And uh, we're coming live from Colorado Springs, Colorado, uh, the Rocky Mountains. And uh, I'll tell you what, tonight's been a good one. We have been privileged, honored uh, to share some of the accomplishments, if you will, of Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren. And uh, we just heard that amazing interview, the, the human spirit of this woman. Boy, I tell you, it gives you chills. William, your thoughts of that interview with the Congresswoman? I was amazed. I mean, really, she has got her hand in a lot of things. She's touching a lot of points, not only domestically, but internationally. Um, it's a lot. I mean, that is really a lot. She uh, She's reaching out and trying to do something with it. Well, absolutely. Cliff, your thoughts as, I, uh, as we all together got to hear that interview again. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, an impactful woman uh, in our nation's capital. Absolutely. I mean, she's just real. Just uh, a, a person who says, you know, I'm going to do what it takes to, to help people out, not only of my district, not only of the U.S., but the, uh, the immigrants that are here, the, you know, the children that are being affected, uh, the parents who are being locked up, not for committing a crime, just for being an American. I think uh, her stance and her position on immigration reform is the one that we, we really need to look at that because it's just a common sense stance that, look, if you have people here who they've, they've come over, they've gotten a job, they're paying their taxes, they're paying their bills, their children are being educated, they're doing, they're living the American dream. How do you take that person or that family and then say, okay, we're going to lock them up in jail? There has to be something else that comes about that uh, that has to be better. And I, I commend her for taking that stand that uh, that she does on immigration, on seeing to it that those families are, are treated fairly. No, absolutely. And it, it definitely reflects the American spirit, uh, the human spirit, if you will, to our fellow man. Uh, that is necessary. I think it's gone missing in some places uh, in this country. Uh, we tend not to reach out and continue to care. Uh, that's one thing uh, America uh, has been known to do, to reach out uh, and to do the things that need to be done uh, in this country. Um, and I'll tell you, I feel pretty positive about it. And uh, I'll tell you, it was a privilege, a privilege and a pleasure in talking to her, uh, basically opening her heart, sharing her heart, what drives her, what leads her to the things uh, that she does. And Cliff, there was an issue uh, where there was a push to actually deport soldiers' wives while they were in combat. That She's, is sick. So the, your, your husband is gone fighting for the nation, and there's a push on the other side. Let's get your wife deported while you are at war. And Congressman Zoe Lofgren had something to say about that. On page 13, 14 of the committee report, item 3, it says unlawful extension of parole in place. I think that shows what the majority thinks about that. And shockingly enough, that is the action that was taken by the president pursuant to express statutory authority, section 212D5 of the Immigration and Nationality Act, to allow the wives of American soldiers to not be deported. In July of 2010, 
A letter was sent to the department signed by nine Democrats and nine Republicans. I'd ask unanimous consent to put the letter into the record. And we said this. Although many of the immigration issues experienced by our men and women in uniform require legislative action, Congress has already given you the tools to provide some relief to these brave soldiers and their families. And we urge to consider deferred action. Uh, to favorably exercise parole authority for close family members and to forbear from initiating removal in certain cases. Now, this is nothing new. We have used parole authority pursuant to the Immigration Act in, in, uh, in faithful enforcement of the law to prevent Cubans from being deported back to Cuba since John F. Kennedy was president of the United States. And for the majority to suggest that keeping the wives of American soldiers who were under fire in Afghanistan from being deported is, and I quote, an unlawful extension of parole in place, I think is a truly shocking and I would say very distressing and disturbing uh, phenomena. We knew that the majority wanted to deport the DREAM Act kids because they voted for the King Amendment last year. When Democrats took the DREAM Act up for a vote, all but eight voted against it. But you want to deport the wives of American shoulders, soldiers in Afghanistan, I'm sorry, is a new low, and I yield back. And there you have it. Uh, you know, we talk about, and ladies and gentlemen of America, you heard that. Uh, these are the things that separate Congressman Lofgren from the pack. And I'm not on the Hill. I'm not a soldier. But that is highly disturbing. Is this how we say thank you to the soldiers on the battlefield that they come home to not have their wives there? Cliff? Yeah, that is the most... Uh... I don't know. I don't even know what word you would use to describe that. I mean, you want to say inhumane. You want to say uh, immoral. I mean, how do you say a man is laying down his life for his country? And while he's doing he's in harm's way, dodging bullets, uh, trying to make sure he doesn't step on an ID. And you're back home trying to deport his wife, who is the I mean, one of the main reasons they feel like I want to protect my country and my family. And you want to take his family and separate it from him? in the middle of in war. the middle of war while he's laying his life down. How do you come to that decision? That is, that is sickening. And I mean, uh, Congresswoman uh, uh, Lofgren is like, I'm sorry, that is not that is just not right. There's nowhere. There's no other way to put it. Well, That's not right. Well, what's exciting, not exciting, but what is so encouraging and this is, again, why Congresswoman Lofgren has been in Congress over 20 years doing her job. These are issues that should not take any motivation to get out of your seat, go on that floor, and speak against. Congress, Congresswoman Lofgren does not hesitate. William, you look troubled. Talk to us. Well, to me, the thing that really bothers me about this is how you take a law and you, and you misuse it and misinterpret it and treat it as a weapon and for opportunity. I mean, like Cliff was saying, I mean, you, you sit here, you think about these guys, they're, they're in harm's way. They're on tours of nine months, a year, something like that. The first thing they want to do before they get board on board, that plane 
is make sure that their home, their family is taken care of. They don't want that worry. And now when they're there with bullets flying over them, they're having to deal with this. So a soldier that was deployed in Germany marries a German lady, comes back, has a family, and now he's got to worry about the mother of his children being deported and where his children will be. I mean, can you imagine the stress that would that would put on a man that's already in the combat area? That's absolutely insane. And then the people that sit there want to use the law to do this and feel justified by doing it, feel justified by bringing this to the Florida Senate and saying, you know what, we need to get rid of them. For what reason? For what reason are you trying to break up this family? Well, it goes back to the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. The letter of the law could say one thing, but guaranteed that the forefathers of America, the people who made the law about deportation, never, ever, ever intended that a man on the battlefield fighting for his life, his country, his family, his beliefs, his morals would have to suffer uh, injustice of back home while he's fighting, laying down his life, his family's being put out of the country. There, there, there's no way that's what the law was but it, intended. But it also makes me question their level of patriotism. Because, yeah. because if a man is out there fighting, you should be fighting for him. He's fighting for the well, freedoms of our country. Why are you not de- here supporting him and fighting for him well, instead of trying to break it up? Well, apparently Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren uh, is defending uh, the position of these men. And this again, this is what we're talking about tonight. This is why Congresswoman Lofgren does what she does, makes no apologies. She believes when she lays down at night, I can lay down in a good conscience because I am fighting for those who are in positions not to necessarily fight for themselves. This is what Congress must have, must retain. And I said it once, I'll say it again. The importance of going to the polls Every election season, whether it's your senator, your congressman, or the president of the United States, you need to be at the polls. Why? We have come across champion after champion, leader after leader, waymaker, if you will, after waymaker, who is on the hill at war. These are warriors of justice. These are warriors of those that say, wait a minute, I have a problem with this. This is how laws are made in the United States. This is how things are resolved. In the United States, members of Congress will go on a floor of their particular locations and they will discuss, they will talk, they will debate. It's basically like a sludge match. I mean, they're fighting for one reason. And when we find the fighters for who, or who are fighting for the right thing, pushing legislation, this is where Congressman Lofgren stands alone. Not alone, so to speak, that there's not other people in Congress doing it, but every individual in Congress has an individual role to play, and what steps do they take? I am totally blown away uh, and it, it really excited, optimistic that we got somebody up there uh, on the Hill, such as Congresswoman uh, Lofgren, that's, that's going to speak out against these things. That's so critically uh, important. And if you look at this, uh, William Cliff, you just go down some of the titles of the things she is pushing for. Uh, it's, it's mind-blowing. She's all over the place, but it is for, honestly, the, as I call her, the humanitarian uh, congresswoman on the Hill. We have uh, the Fair Day in Court for Kids Act, 2016. Uh, the bill amends the Immigration and Nationality Act, authorizing the Department of Justice 
to appoint or provide counsel at government expense to aliens in removal proceedings. The Department of Homeland Security shall provide an alien in removal proceedings with relevant document in its possession unless the alien has knowingly waived the right to such documents. She is saying there are certain rights that should be given to the process or proceedings, Cliff, of, of dealing with immigration, illegal immigration, whatever you want to call it. She is fighting for, to, to keep the human spirit in the process and the fairness in the process. That's right. I mean, it. You cannot just say because a person is here, they don't have a visa, their visa, their work visa expired, their, uh, you know, vacation or visitation visa expired. You, there still has to be a fair process. Without that, then we, we just become a country of, uh, you know, of tyrants to say that we just, we're just going to treat people any kind of way just because. And it goes back to just common sense. How do you say, okay, this is still a human being, this is a person with feelings, with family, with uh, loved ones, and you cannot just throw them back across over a fence. That's not, that is not the proper thing to do. And Congresswoman Lofgren is saying, look, we have to have more than just uh, a, uh, you know, a vehicle of saying, let's drive them back down to the border and push them, them over. It, that, that's, that, is not, that is not a solution. That, not, that is not a solution at all. And, you know, a lot of her bills speak to some of those issues uh, that she has sponsored. Uh, you have the EB Jobs Act. The bill amends the Immigration and Nationality Act to make conditional permanent resident EB-6 visas adjustable to permanent residents after two years, available to qualifying venture capital-backed and self-sponsored startup entrepreneurs based upon specified investment, job creation, and commercial activity requirements. Those are things to say, look, give the, look, they've been here, she said, after two years, they've worked, they've put in the time. Let's set up opportunities that even give them a shot at the American dream. Let's give them an opportunity for entrepreneurship. I mean, William, when you hear that, it's just one step, humanitarian step after another that Congressman Loughran is about, what she's doing. That is unbelievable. It is, because really when you look at it, she is fighting for them to have a, a piece of the American dream. Why they came here. And, and, and I mean, they came here for an opportunity. They came here for a chance. And she's saying, give it to them. Don't just discriminate against them because they're from another country. Or they may not speak English fluently. You know, our English may be their second or third language. Give them a chance. Give them a chance to be somebody. And 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 I I mean th- this her resume of work is just talking about fighting for these people, for people to have an opportunity, for people to have a chance at a life, at a dream. And what's wrong with that? And not there's nothing wrong with it. I mean even in her t- in her interview, she was talking about challenging that one percent. Challenging those that have who constantly want to keep their thumb on those that don't have it. And the thing about it is she is is championing the fight for these little guys. She is is the one that's out here saying, look, they deserve a chance. The African-Americans deserve a chance. You know, each ethnic group deserves a chance and opportunity and doesn't need to be heaped in together and treated poorly or, or with your thumb on them. And I, it, it's, I mean, it's great. I mean, we need more people like this. No, absolutely. That is the fact uh, that is very, very clear here. Uh, it, it really stands to reason 
that we have a a soldier here in Congressman Lofgren. Uh Probably not a popular stand to take. People tend to think if you fight for the little guy, it's really not popular these days. Doesn't matter. Congressman Lockman has a vision that all men are created equal. Sounds like that vision was given to someone else a long time ago. Uh, to our forefathers that yes. wrote the Constitution. To those that have come for civil rights, the fight for ethnic groups and equality. Congresswoman Lofgren recognizes every person being a human being, and they deserve the rights of everybody equally in this country. There was a moment where Congressman Lofgren actually took a moment to remember Black History Month that people tend to forget. Not Congressman Lofgren. She had a little something to say about Black History Month. Hello, I'm Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren. In February, we celebrate Black History Month to recognize the contributions, achievements, and strengths of the African-American community. It's a time to reflect on a long history of hardships endured. It's also time to celebrate the triumphs that black Americans have achieved throughout our nation's history. This year, we celebrate 50 years since the passage of the Landmark Civil Rights Act, the single most significant piece of civil rights legislation since Reconstruction. But we're reminded that there remains work to be done. In 2013, the Supreme Court invalidated a key section of the Voting Rights Act. As a result, state governments with a history of racial discrimination no longer have to provide proof that their new voting laws ensure access to the right to vote, regardless of race, uh, religion, or language. Voting rights have come under threat. This is not only an assault on voting rights, but an attack on our democracy. I'll continue to push Congress to renew and strengthen the protections of the Voting Rights Act and to guard the most fundamental right in our democracy, the right to vote. To that end, this month, I look forward to celebrating and realizing the lessons of Black History Month. That is, as our friend on Capitol Hill, Congressman Hank Johnson, that is refreshing. Cliff, when you hear that uh, from Congressman Lofgren, to take a moment and say, I am looking forward to celebrate Black History Month. You, people don't get on a stage normally, unfortunately, in this country, and take a moment of opposite race to say, I'm looking forward to this. I am respectful of this. We remember what the price, the sacrifices, the things that were done in bringing the African-American community to where we are today, which, as she noted, has such a long way to go. Cliff, when you hear that from a leader, an elected official, as Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren is, what does that do to you? Well, what it does is it, uh, just that, just that small statement says you know what we can we can come together and uh and, and you know we can we can um what do you call it we can accomplish some things together just by knowing that somebody is there to say okay i understand uh you know your perspective i understand the things that uh you know are important to you that 
speaks volumes to uh, Congresswoman Lofgren's understanding of the communities, the people, the constituents that she serves. It's that it's not just about, uh, you know, her her little, um, the little, the, the area, you know, basically my three square feet. That is not what it's about. It's about reaching out to other people and other communities who have had other experiences in life, and that is how we all come together to 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 reach common goals. And if 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 everybody would take that same stance to say, you know, I understand what's important to you, then America be, would be a much better place. That's that's absolutely awesome. Um, I'm so moved uh, tonight uh, when you hear this. Uh, even a greater level of respect for the congresswoman, and I thought this was to be noted. In 2010, due to her tireless work on development, relief, and education for alien minors, DREAM Act, then-Speaker Nancy Pelosi presented Zoe with the gavel used to preside over the passage of the bill in the House of Representatives. That is absolutely phenomenal. And the respect she has from her colleagues about getting stuff done and this issue with uh, the voting rights, speaking, speaking out about that and what needs to be done, uh, th- you know, there was a bill introduced uh, by uh, Congressman Sensenbrenner and Congressman Conyers uh, in response to the Supreme Court ruling that struck down a Section 4 of the law. Uh, and basically they made up their mind it's time to take action. We're going to talk a little bit more about that on the other side of this break. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're feeling goosebumps or your flag seems to be peeking out the closet, It's because a patriotic moment is taking place here at AJC Radio, and that is with Congressman Zoe Lofgren. We're going to continue the spotlight on Capitol Hill of this magnificent woman and legislator in our nation's capital. We're coming right back. This is AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. Don't go nowhere. We know you care. Now is time. Time to change the face of justice. Did you know that minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent? The incidence of youth and minority offenders faced with trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18, a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license, and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't get justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize your message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can add value to your workplace. I could be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talents and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best 
when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? You can remember that it works. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. Odds of becoming an astronaut, 1 in 13,200,000. Odds of being struck by lightning, 1 in 576,000. Odds of dating a supermodel, 1 in 88,000. Odds of bowling a perfect game, 1 in 11,500. Odds of being trapped in an elevator, 1 in 24,528. Odds of catching a ball at a major league game, 1 in 563. Odds of an injury from shaving, 1 in 6,585. Odds of tripping while texting, 1 in 10. Odds of getting cancer in your lifetime, One in two men, one in three women. It's up to us to change the odds for our generation. For the ones we love. For our future. If you don't like the odds, stand up. Stand up to cancer. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, on this beautiful evening here in Colorado Springs, Colorado, coming to you live from AJC Radio. And uh, I'll tell you right now, the temperature again continues to rise on Spotlight on Capitol Hill. And William, if I'm not mistaken, a little sweat on your forehead. This has been an evening of shining the light on a champion there in our nation's capital. Your thoughts? I tell you, you really, it makes you look in yourself and say, listen, I need to do more. I need to do more um, just reaching out. I mean, really, because this person is sitting here the number of years in Congress fighting and, you know, for those that just they need a voice. They need somebody to support them. So it really just makes me think about myself and say, hey, listen, I need to do more. I really need to do more. So no, that's my thoughts. Oh, awesome. Cliff, as we have dug in a, just a little bit again on Fight on Capitol Hill. You need three or four shows to highlight members that are taking the steps that uh, Congresswoman Lofgren is doing. Uh, how do we get it all in as we continue to be baffled here by what the American people really have been locked out to see? That's right. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. It's encouraging. It's uplifting to see all the things that she's doing on a humanitarian level. Uh, and also as well, you know, she, she spoke about, uh, you know, Snowden a little bit there. Talk about keeping our our uh, our privacy safe, keeping the NSA and the CIA from coming after people. I mean, she's got several out the Secure Data Act, the uh, Surveillance Order Reporting Act, the Online Communications and Geolocation Protection Act, talking about keeping the American people's private data secure from the federal government just coming out and saying to your cell uh, phone provider, give, give us the data. Tell us where this person is at right now. These are the things that that are the basic rights of every American, the, the right to privacy. And the government should not just be able to say, OK, wherever your cell phone is, we're going to track you. We're going to we're going to open up, you know, your phone and listen to what you're saying right now. These are the type of things that Congressman, uh, I'm sorry, Congresswoman Lofgren are, are, uh, are out to protect, to ensure that the American people on every side that we are protected, uh, you know, from from foreign threats and 
from uh, you know threats that are right here at home. Our our, our local, I mean, our federal government and its agencies coming after our privacy, and you can do nothing but commend her for exposing it first and then putting forth the effort and everything that it takes to get a bill passed and an act put in place to protect us as the American people. Well, and that's awesome, Cliff. To that point, the Secure Data Act, uh, Data Act of 2015 prohibits a federal agency from requiring or requesting a manufacturer, developer, or seller of any computer hardware, software, or electronic device uh, made available to the general public to design or alter the security functions in such products to allow the surveillance of any user or the physical search of such product by any uh, agency. I mean, that breaks it down exactly, exactly. as what you spoke to. And uh, s- protecting the privacy, again, what you find with Congressman Lofgren is one thing. I am going to do whatever I can to protect the American people and the people that sent me here to do my job. And it's, it's demonstrated, William, in everything that she is doing uh, in protecting the rights of Americans. That, if that's not leadership, given the challenges that face this nation, then I don't know what is. Your well, thoughts on that? Well, the thing is, is that, uh, I mean, she is taking this very serious. And, and, and we've talked about this recently. The, the understanding how serious it is that our own government is spying on us, collecting huge amounts of data. She said it in her interview. I mean, you think about my phone call, your phone call, the intimate details we may share with loved ones or children. They're capturing that information. At will, without any uh, criminal request or anything like that. They're just capturing this information. And so when you look at that, I mean, she is really saying, hey, listen, you can't just take it upon yourself to start collecting information. We, you, we need to know what you're doing. So basically, she's calling the NSA in check. She's checking them. And that's what that's what needs to happen. Someone needs to call these agencies and check and make them accountable. No, oh, absolutely. And she goes further down, uh, Cliff. I don't know if you saw this one. Surveillance Order Reporting Act yes. uh, permits uh, electronic communications or remote computing service providers to report information to the public about the requests and demands for information made by any government entity under a surveillance law and exempt such providers from liability with respect to that report, even if the provider would otherwise be prohibited by a surveillance law from reporting that information. That is a clear example of complete and total transparency. That's right. And that's what's needed. Because this this is exactly what happened with, uh, and and everybody, I mean, don't get us wrong, we understand that the the San Bernardino terrorists, we need to know what was going on, but the federal government coming Apple after Apple and saying, "Open a get, write us a program, not open up this phone for this terrorist, but write us a program that we can crack into any iPhone." But, that is against the law. That is a violation of our privacy, and it goes way outside the bounds of what the FBI needs. I'm so glad that Apple continued to fight and expose it in the public to say, this is what the federal government is looking for. They want us to write them a program that can crack into anybody's phone. And and uh, here's a clear example of a member of Congress, Congresswoman Lofgren, saying, no, I stand with the corporations, I stand with the providers, that we do not just let the, the uh, Federal Bureau of Investigation, the National Security Agency, the Central Intelligence Agency, all these agencies that want our data, they do not just get a carte blanche well. just go into and get any American citizen's information. Right. It's not right, and she's there standing for well, it. Well, I'll put it to you this way. The analogy comes clear to me. 
You want a master key to a hotel, a five-star hotel, a master key. That's right. To all the rooms. You have right. one incident in one room. Uh, I'm going to need a master. <laughs> You're not going to get that. And Congressman Lockman basically sees the insanity of that. And, and the FBI ended up getting into that phone. What, had, what would have happened if they would have been given a blank check, a yeah. master key? To say, okay, well, we're going to go into all the – no, you're not. And if the FBI had a reputation of integrity, we wouldn't have to have this discussion. If, if. They have been proven over and over again, not only in America, before Congress, lying before Congress about the things that they have done. So don't – they won't – oh, we're a victim. You're not a victim FBI. No, no. <laughs> no, you nah, are not. If, no you, if you want the respect, earn it. Respect the American people. Respect their privacy. Congressman Lockman had something to say, even on the floor, about that. We had a discussion here in the government, and again, it was bipartisan, and an understanding that the Commerce Department was not going to be able to run the Internet. And we did something that was a risk, but it worked out pretty well. We created ICANN and basically allowed a multi-stakeholder, non-governmental organization to do the technology, to assign the names and numbers, and they've not been perfect, but not half bad. What is before us today is a threat to the Internet that, as my colleague Mr. Markey has said, has been the greatest force in modern times for communication, for growth, uh, for uh, low barrier entry into innovation. Uh, we are aware that there are those around the world who wish to burn the Internet, whether it's to tax it or to censor it for political or cultural reasons, and we need to take a stand in this body and with our administration uh, to say no to that. Well, what do you say to that, ladies and gentlemen? She's not talking the talk here. She's walking the walk. Who are we talking about? Congressman Zoe Lofgren continues to stand up, she's, and she said it herself, we have to take a stand. The purpose of taking a stand in her agenda is to protect the American people. Not only the folks of California, her leadership impacts a nation. Because I guarantee you there's more people with the Internet than just California. Absolutely. We know that to be the case. What are we talking about, folks? Your privacy, your rights. This is why we go to the polls. We said it last week. We said it the week before, the week before that. Our elected officials are doing something. Our elected officials are working tirelessly excuse me, to get the job done. And I don't think, Cliff, enough focus, enough credit is given to the impact of these elected officials. That's right. I mean, you have to give credit where credit is due. And when uh, 
I mean, because when you think about a member of Congress that basically goes against the mainstream, goes against these federal agencies, I mean, we've seen uh, reports in the in the news where these agencies have come after members of Congress yeah. because of the stance that they took. I mean, that you know, the FBI, the CIA comes after them, start exposing their personal data, like you're going to back off of us. Well, Congresswoman Lofgren said, "Look, <laughs> the threat, if you will." But, uh, you know, like we used to say back in the day, I'm a soldier. Well, <laughs> hey, she's a soldier, and this is what this is the oath. The oath of Congress that you hear at the beginning of every spotlight on Capitol Hill says what? To faithfully uphold the Constitution of the United States. That's, that, that's the purpose of the oath they took. They took an oath. And by that oath being taken, look at the result of these things, being motivated to fulfill that oath, William. What is the, benef- what is the power of an oath if it's not kept? That's the truth. I mean, that's the truth. I think, I think listening to what she's saying and what, what we've heard, all this information, she is fighting for the things that we don't, we're not aware of. When you talk about Internet commerce, you're talking about pirating of of information of our consumer products that are and data that is out on the internet. I mean, all these are things that you know the everyday Americans are, may not be aware of. But she is sitting here fighting for this stuff, and, and it really makes you appreciate somebody like this is saying, "I'm not dealing with necessarily the big issues. I'm dealing with the issues that you may not have heard of that is going to impact you maybe today, maybe tomorrow." But this is I mean, this is a champion. She's taking on the issues that are not necessarily um, the most glamorous, but she but but that's not what she's there for. She's not looking for glory. She's looking there looking for the to fight and win for the little man, for the common guy. Well, they used to say back in the day, and they may say it's still stand up and take a bow. When something good is happening, and if Congressman Zoltan is listening tonight, stand up and take a bow. Uh, we salute you here on AJC Radio, and we are honestly overwhelmed with the things that you are doing in a way that you are doing them, and we appreciate that. And Cliff, I, as doing my research with Congresswoman Lofgren, we came across a moment she took to remember a fallen officer. You wonder how many good deeds are in a person. What depth does the human spirit go to? She took a moment to remember an officer, and and by no means, as much as we talk about the officers that get it wrong, there's a lot of officers that get it right, and sacrifices and families that have been left due to the sacrifice uh, that they have given and laid their lives down in the line of duty. Let's hear what the congressman said about this officer, Michael Johnson. Mr. Speaker, I rise to offer condolences to the family and friends of Officer Michael Johnson of the San Jose Police Department, who was killed in the line of duty on March 24th this year when he responded to a 9-11 call and was shot by a disturbed man armed with a rifle. Mike graduated from the San Jose Police Academy on June 15, 2001. Over his 14-year career, Mike served as a patrolman, court liaison, prescription drug fraud specialist, and most recently, a field training officer in charge of mentoring young cadets. Like other officers, Mike recognized the inherent danger in wearing his badge and responding to calls, but he accepted these risks and ultimately gave his life serving his community. He is survived by his wife, Nikki, 
parents Daniel Johnson and Katherine Decker, step-parents Dan Decker and Penny Johnson, sister Jamie, a niece, a nephew, a grandmother, and his in-laws. I hope they take solace in knowing that our entire community is in mourning with them. The San Jose PD is in mourning. The city of San Jose is in mourning. This Congress is in mourning. I ask unanimous consent to put my entire statement into the record. Oh, there you have it. Um, The tragedy that took place in California, officer lost his life. Uh, What do you say about Congresswoman Lofgren, William? In the midst of whatever's going on, we just talked about her untiring work. Uh, It doesn't do justice for what we observe with our own eyes in part. And to go on the floor and to show the human spirit and compassion, as you alluded to earlier, to a situation that needed compassion brought to it. That is leadership. Your thoughts? Well, you know, we've, we've said time and time again, you know, there are good apples. There are good police officers out there. Those are, there are those that are out there that are really trying to make an impact. When, they, when you see on the back of their cruiser, it says to serve and to protect. And they, they took an oath, just right. like she took an oath. And their oath is for the citizens of their community first, and that's what she did. She brought light to a situation that needed light, that this officer lost his life. And, you know, so that's what a champion does. A champion takes the opportunity and seeks for the moment where they can say, this was the good in the midst of the bad. And of all these situations we've seen across the country, this was a good man. This was a man to be remembered, uh, just like we may remember the the African-American men that have lost their lives. Let's yes. remember the, soul, the, the police officers who were – who lost their lives in the line of duty, just like we will remember a soldier who lost his life in Iraq or Afghanistan or someplace abroad. Um, there's a family that's looking out the window for a loved one that's not going to come home. There, you know, that right there is the heart, and it is the compassion, and that's what she was doing. Well, there you have it. Uh, you know, and these are things, Cliff. When you hear that. Um, how important is it if the American people, at the end of the day, no matter what party line that you may be on or what community you may come from or what social status that you might have, for a member an American, a member or a citizen, if you will, not a member, a citizen of America, where at one time in this country, the human spirit meant something. It wasn't about attacking one another. It wasn't about putting down one another or racially dividing and bickering and hate and division. When you see, Cliff, an elected official like Congressman Lofgren step out and say and to the families, to the hurting, to the grieving, I care. That is what democracy is about. Your thoughts on that? Well, it it says just that, that she cares about the people. It's not just about the position, but it's what she can do with the position, how she can uh, affect and effectively change 
people's lives with the position that she holds. Not about, you know, glory or having a name in lights, but to say, okay, I can I can affect the lives of the people that, that I serve in the communities in my district, in the country, in a positive way that I can I can use my influence to ensure, you know, that like you say, you know, the, the spirit of America is uh you know basically comes back to 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 what it used to be to his glory to say we are a country that are for the people and by the people that that is what we are about and it starts with our legislators on Capitol Hill saying we will make laws that ensure that every person is represented equally and every person has uh you know equal rights that every person matters that's basically what Congresswoman Lofgren, her, what you feel from her is that every person matters, no matter who you are, a citizen or not, um, you know, a, a member of the community, a law enforcement, a child, an adult, an elderly a service member, everybody matters to Congresswoman Lofgren, and and, uh, and we commend her for taking that stance. No, absolutely, and uh, thank you. Uh, Cliff William, uh, for your uh, infra- your thoughts, uh, your perception and your vision of what you see, your perception of what we have all seen tonight, uh, actually is combined. It, it, it goes hand in hand. A champion. And Congresswoman uh, Lofgren, if you had stood up and took a bow earlier, I'm going to ask you to get up again. Take one more bow because what you're doing is huge. We salute you tonight here on AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Thank you so much for giving us an interview tonight. Folks, on the other side of this break, what you didn't know about the RP6, we talk about the playwright by Judge H. Lee Sarakin. We'll be right back. A just cause has found something very interesting. A playwright by Judge H. Lee Sarakin about the RMP6. It starts right now. Take a look. My name is David Banks, and I'm serving an 11-year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything. My business, my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom. My name is Gary Walker, and I'm serving a sentence of 11 years in the same prison. Just to decide, not only were the six of us all devout members of the same church, there was not a single criminal charge or conviction among any of us until these unbelievable events unfolded. My name is Clinton Stewart, and I'm serving a sentence of 10 years at the same prison in Colorado. It's fitting that we lived, prayed, and worked together that we should end up dying together because that is what prison is for us and our families. I am Kendrick Barnes, and I am serving a seven-year sentence at the same prison in Colorado. I was the chief information officer at IRP Solutions, the name of our company. I testified, and then Gary objected. A Donnybrook broke out because Gary said our Fifth Amendment rights had been violated by compelling us to testify. The judge said she had not said anything of the kind, and we demanded the transcript. We were all absolutely unanimous 
in our verbatim version of what she had said. She denied production of the transcript for that day and at the time, some 200 pages, but assured us that they would be produced at the end of the day. Transcript of that particular conversation in the courtroom between us and the judge has never been produced. I am Demetrius Harper, and I'm serving a 10-year sentence at the same prison. And then in June of 2009, four years later, they finally got a grand jury to indict us. This time, they only called one witness, an FBI agent. And the old adage that a prosecutor can indict a ham sandwich was proven. This is a production that sets the bar and takes a sincere look at the RP6 story, Judge H. Lee Serkin, retired federal judge, felt compelled to say something. We will not remain silent to see the full story, the full playwright of the RP6 tragedy. Go to YouTube, search the race card. You don't want to miss it. Some people think that business is a game. And what we have learned is that business actually is war. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. It's strange to me. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And, and then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. What we have learned is that the RP6 story was supposed to be the American dream is an American nightmare. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, uh, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over it. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send to. Is this happening in America? The American dream of the RP6 has turned into a nightmare, crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. Ladies and gentlemen, go out to change.org, sign the petition now. America's future depends on it. And there you have it. The IRP6 nightmare.
What's going on in America? Where has justice fallen? It is clear tonight that Judge H. Lee Serikin, retired federal judge, was compelled. He was moved at the sight of injustice and the miscarriage of justice regarding the IRP-6. On this segment of What You Didn't Know, we talk about what motivated H. Judge H. Lee Serikin, what motivated the folks at Change.org to sign a petition seeking justice. We ask these questions and we make these statements for one purpose, for the freedom, for the release immediately of the IRP-6. Who are they? Dave Zappolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. Cliff, what, the big question tonight, what would motivate a retired judge to do and to create a playwright seeking justice for these six men? Well, the only thing that, that you could, the only conclusion you can come to is that it's about justice. He's seen an injustice after, after uh, spending 17 years on the federal bench. He has, uh, you know, he's now looking at the system that, uh, that he spent, you know, almost two decades serving and, and then decades after that of his life for justice. And now he looks at this situation. He's like, okay, there is an injustice that has occurred. It, there, there's no other reason you would take. I mean, Judge Sarakin is not a, uh, a very young man. He's very strong for his age. But you're talking about a person who has advocated and advocated. And then for him to come out and say, President Obama, you need to release these men. I've never asked for clemency any time before, any time that I was on the bench or since. And then he asked for it for the IRP-6. It tells you that we all should be looking for justice, especially in this case when a, uh, a judge such as Judge Serkin says this is an atrocity, this is a miscarriage of justice. It needs to be overturned because there were too many things that, uh, that, that, went, that went wrong during this case. No, absolutely, Cliff. And, uh, folks, we're going to recommend, we're asking you tonight, uh, all over the country, around the world, uh, please go out to change.org. Sign the petition for the IRP-6 as we request clemency from the President of the United States to hear this clemency, to say, look, this cannot happen on my watch. This is injustice. This is unreal, but yet very real. And it has affected the lives of a lot of people. It doesn't take but a moment to go out to change.org. That's change.org. IRP6, the petition will come up. Take a couple of minutes, put in a little information, and join us in this fight as we seek justice. If it was your mother, if it was your brother, if it was your sister, if it was your, who, any family member, it wouldn't be asking for much to go out there and sign a petition for justice. We ask tonight that all listening to this program to go out to that website, change.org, and sign the petition as we seek justice for the IRP-6. And when you think about it, Cliff, during the production of this playwright, we sent out a very special thank you to all of the actors that gave of themselves in their time to seek and to fulfill. And, and, and William, when you watch it, you're right there in that room. You would never know that these are actors. That's true. That is true. Something happened to these men, Cliff, that impacted their life. Your Ab thoughts on that? Absolutely. I mean, when you watch that, 
and you you see the the actors getting emotional and and feeling it. I, I mean, it it makes you know that they understood after talking to Judge Sarakin and after having the situation explained to them that they understood the great injustice that happened as well. And you know, you you look at people who are in the uh, the profession as far as judicially and some of them have gone out on change.org and you know they've signed the petition as we're asking uh, everybody who's listening to and some of the comments that they made here you have an attorney of 51 years in San Francisco this is what he writes he says I'm an attorney in good standing in California for the past 51 years I have never seen a case more deserving of clemency than this case which never should have been pursued as a criminal matter. You're talking about somebody in the profession for over half a century is saying if this there was never even a crime, this should never have been pursued. There's the same conclusion that Judge Serkin uh, came to, same conclusion that even other prosecutors have come to to say this should never have made it to federal court. Absolutely, Cliff. Folks, stay tuned to AJC Radio uh, for this continued coverage of the uh, the playwright written by Judge H. Lee Sarakin. And tonight, uh, we're going to send you out tonight on that trailer about the RP6. Cliff? Allison, we want to say thank you to uh, our production crew, Captain Kyle and Dustin Jackson of K&D Productions, helping out Ill Skills Girl in the control room, making sure you hear what we have to say. Also, to our production support team, they give us accurate and up-to-date information so that we can pass that on to you, our listeners. Also, we want to say uh, thank you to the truth. We know you're out there, and we appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen of America, the, face car, the race card Face Up trailer starts right now. A just cause has found something very interesting. A playwright by Judge H. Lee Serrigan about the RMP6. It starts right now. Take a look. My name is David Banks, and I'm serving an 11-year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything. My business, my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom. My name is Gary Walker, and I'm serving a sentence of 11 years in the same prison. Just an aside, not only were the six of us all devout members of the same church, there was not a single criminal charge or conviction among any of us until these unbelievable events unfolded. My name is Clinton Stewart, and I'm serving a sentence of 10 years at the same prison in Colorado. It's fitting that we lived, prayed, and worked together that we should end up dying together, because that is what prison is for us and our families. I am... Kendrick Barnes, and I am serving a seven-year sentence at the same prison in Colorado. I was the chief information officer at IRP Solutions, the name of our company. I testified, and then Gary objected. A Donnybrook broke out, because Gary said our Fifth Amendment rights had been violated by compelling us to testify. The judge said she had not said anything of the kind, and we demanded the transcript. We were all absolutely unanimous in our verbatim version of what she had said. She denied production of the transcript for that day and at the time, some 200 pages, but assured us 
but they would be produced at the end of the day. Transcript of that particular conversation in the courtroom between us and the judge has never been produced. I am Dimitri. I'm serving a 10-year sentence at the same prison. And then in June of 2009, four years later, they finally got a grand jury to indict us. This time, they only called one witness, an FBI agent. And the old adage that a prosecutor can indict a ham sandwich was proven. This is a production that sets the bar and takes a sincere look at the RP6 story. Judge H. Lee Serkin, retired federal judge, felt compelled to say something. We will not remain silent to see the full story, the full playwright of the RP6 tragedy. Go to YouTube. Search the race card. You don't want to miss it.